This is the Jay's Journal Podcast for February the 1st, 2018. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro, and thanks for tuning in. On today's show, we've got a cavalcade of phenomenal baseball guests, starting with a fantastic roundtable featuring Arden's Welling from Sportsnet, Laura Armstrong from the Toronto Star, and writer, blogger, and baseball auteur, Dow Steeb. They drop in to chat with me on all things Blue Jays with a great roundtable that I think will entertain you enormously. And following that, we've got a regular installment from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network. Richard Burfer and Dan Sagan drop in to talk about Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Nothing like other takes and perspectives from really authoritative sources that can give us a better idea of what to expect with these two phenoms that represent such a significant part of the Blue Jays' so-called rosy future. In the meantime, I urge you to turn your attention to www.jaysjournal.com to check out some of the latest articles that are trending on our website. In particular, we've got some contributions from a variety of authors all looking into things that are trending as they relate to your Toronto Blue Jays. First off, we've got Craig Borden, who looks at Max Pentecost, the number 14 ranked top prospect in our system, as voted on by the Jays Journal staff. And Sam Bruce takes a moment to look at Rowdy Telez, the number 13 top prospect. There's a name, by the way, that unfortunately fell from grace. I think a lot was expected, quite frankly, from both Pentecost and Telez. And and their development will ultimately forecast what the Blue Jays can expect from raw young talent because these are two players that, if they can continue to develop, will give them flexibility both at the catching position and first base. Side experts Clayton Richie and Chris Henderson get into the mix this week. First, Clayton takes a look at how Jose Bautista is toying with fans' emotions by showing up in Toronto and giving the impression that he's got some kind of, well, let's just say business going on in the city. We don't know what kind of business, but we know that it's something that set social media fire, Twitter in particular, lit up with all sorts of speculation. And you've got to ask yourself, is that the worst thing in the world to speculate that Jose Bautista could find his way back with the Toronto Blue Jays, complete with goggles and x-ray vision? Anything is possible, let me tell you. And then, of course, uh, Chris Henderson looks at why the Cardinals let go of Valedmus Diaz and Randall Grichuk, a a fascinating article that I think you will appreciate exactly what was the origin or genesis behind their decision to let go of two players who clearly have value in the American League. And finally, Brendan Panikar looks at um, whether or not Kevin Pillar might be the next domino to fall. In particular, what to do with this crowded outfield situation with the Toronto Blue Jays, so be sure to check out that article and all of these articles here at the Jays Journal. Without further delay, I'd like to get us rolling on this roundtable so we can talk with some of our baseball experts and then give you our authoritative look at what to expect in the days to come here on the Jays Journal podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So this is the first roundtable back, and of course, I would reach out to three really brilliant authors and baseball minds. Let's start with uh, our first guest. She is the Blue Jays beat writer for the Toronto Star, Laura Armstrong. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. Next to Laura is the staff writer at Sportsnet and the co-host of the At The Letters podcast. You know him as Arden Zwelling, Mr. Zwelling. Thank you for joining us. Anytime, Ari, anytime. And our uh, final member of this uh, illustrious panel is an author and uh, a weekly contributor of the sports Center. And also the second most, second famous Steve in all of baseball, Dow Steve. 
good to see you again. It's good to be seen. You know, you know, it's all metaphysical here, right? We spend so much time yeah. together talking about baseball. And I have this visualization. It's like your avatar on Twitter. It's the outline of your face. I thought for this round panel, we'd do something really cool, which is take a look at some issues which happen to involve articles that you've all written over the last week or two. And I wanted to start with you, Laura, and, and get uh, you know our, the whole table actively involved in this conversation. You wrote a really fascinating article in the Star about baseball players having and really should be giving their eyes a workout. You called it, I think, vision training, which is such a cool name. You know, to tell somebody I'm busy doing vision training. Um, we now know from Jose Bautista's horrific year last year, where he set, I think, a record for most strikeouts and lowest average, that clearly something was off with his vision, and that's been confirmed. Do you think we should change our perception of Jose Bautista and should fans really start giving this a lot more credence considering that there's some players who just drop off and maybe that's one of the reasons they didn't take care of their eyesight? Uh, I, I think the answer to that question is twofold. I don't think that Jose Bautista's horrible year last year came down to the fact that he couldn't see the ball. Uh, I think that if that was the case, then he probably would have, you know, maybe gone to get his eyes checked midway through the year. And I think that Ross Atkins did come out later on and say that all of their players do get their eyes checked. So I don't, I mean, both all of the experts that I spoke to for this vision training piece that I wrote um, over the weekend uh, said that they would have been surprised if these baseball players are not getting their eyes checked. That being said, I think that um, vision training has had success in the past. Uh, I think a lot of players seem to take their eyes from granted. That's sort of the... um, the the idea that I got from the, the people that I spoke with that it's difficult sometimes to get a player to to want to train their eyes because they don't necessarily understand um, the scientific reasoning behind it. It's not necessarily a um, area of training that clubs are interested in investing in, but it can have you know maybe a one or two percent difference that can add to your game. That could be the edge that you need. A player needs over another player. Um, it's not necessarily about your eyes. Um, in the story, I explain that there's sort of a software hardware component to it. There's the hardware, which is the actual muscles of your eyes, and mm-hmm. there's six muscles in your eyes, and you're sort of able to train little bits of that, but most of that is sort of unmodifiable, whereas um, the eye training, the software end of things is sort of how you react to um, different, like your vi- your vis- your visualization, and then how your brain, how quickly your brain picks up what you're visualizing, and helps you make a split second decision. And if you can even shave off a fraction of a second in baseball, obviously when a ball is coming at you at 100 miles an hour, that that fraction of a section, second can make all the difference. So in terms of Bautista, I don't necessarily think we can be like vision training would have saved his year. He wouldn't have got 170 (laughs) strikeouts. But I do think that it certainly has uh, has its benefits. Especially fascinating in that article was you talked about that split-second difference. And we all know that the difference between an average baseball hitter and an elite baseball hitter is literally that. It's it's not only maybe one extra hit or two extra hits every week, but it's how they adapt to it. That being said, uh, Dow... 
is there any hope for Jose Bautista's career at this stage? I mean, it was one thing to say goodbye and feel sorry for losing him as a Blue Jays player. I would feel even worse to know that he was part of this gaggle of free agents that nobody want, you know, wants, like hound dogs that are now gathering together and running their own spring training. It's almost a little bit pitiful. What, what are your thoughts about that for a free agent at this stage in his career, at his age, and having a disastrous season like he did last year? Yeah, I think it's really hard to say at this point just because I don't think that any of us have ever seen a, a – a free agent class like this or, or seeing anything play out in this way. So, um, you know, I, my guess is that there's going to be an awful lot of sort of fringy free agents, um, uh, well into spring training who are, who are still looking to, to catch on. And, and I would guess that, uh, that Jose may well end up in that position. Um, I, I also, I, I have a sense that Jose might have another year left in him, and and you know I think that there were there were a lot of there was a lot of rust showing last year suddenly, um, and uh, but having said that, um, you know sometimes I think it could just compound on it. I think he was, I know it sounds silly to say this, but I think you could see him uh, trying really hard to fix his his season in every at bat last year, so. Uh, you know, if he kind of comes in in, in a uh, in a role where he doesn't need to necessarily lead a team, and look, there's like ten teams who are in some level of uh, tanking. Well, you know, maybe he could be a guy who could go in and and fill in uh, fill in uh, you know sort of a, a low pressure role for for some of them for a season. So, I, I think he'll end up someplace. I don't think that he'll be. Um, he'll be a guy who will get 500 at-bats this year, but I think he'll at least um, get to go out on maybe something of a better note than he did last year. Arden, you, you know the player extremely well, having written about him and followed him, and you also know how the free agent market works and have experience from seeing what are maybe a little bit more unusual occurrences in an off-season Knowing the atmosphere, the climate for free agents, the way it is, does do, do you think that Jose will find a home? And and what's with all these free agents and these big names that are still available this late in the off season? Well, it's, it's a lot of things going on, and you know the kind of the the best explanation I've seen from it was was Jeff Passan's piece, yeah, who sports recently, and uh, he called it a uh, you know collusion of common sense, uh, and and that's really what what's kind of happening in baseball right now. You've got thirty front offices who all value players very similarly and, and you know, none of them want to end up on uh, on fan graphs after giving somebody, you know, six years and some exorbitant amount of money uh, getting yeah. roasted. So, uh, it, you know, I, I think that's why you're, you're seeing the free agent market play out the way that it is. It's going to be interesting to see if the beginning of spring training has a, you know, any kind of a, a thawing effect on this. Um, you know, you, you got to wonder if, you know, once once games begin in Florida and Arizona, as soon as somebody, uh, you know, pulls a hamstring or breaks a hamate or, you know, uh, separates a shoulder, is that going to, you know, bring some more teams into the market? And, and if you're a free agent right now, especially a Scott Boris client, you got to be thinking, uh, you know, I, I'm going to wait and see because uh, I don't like the uh, the offers that, every, that, that, that I'm seeing right now. Well, speaking of spring training, it's interesting to note that um, fans are always hopeful that, maybe there'll be a surprise from from a young player that finally can get over the hump. And the Blue Jays are no strangers to that as an organization, I'm sure you'll all agree. When I 
look at someone like Dalton Pompey, whom you wrote about recently in an article about starting over in 2018, Arden, uh, I, I want to start with you on this. Do you think that the Blue Jays will be fortunate enough to to deal with this frustration during this offseason of not acquiring players that the fans were pontificating and saying they should and maybe end up being surprised by a Dalton Pompey, by an Anthony Alford, by a Teoscar Hernandez? Well, every year somebody, uh, you know, comes out of nowhere. I mean, last year you look at Justin Smoke. I mean, you know, the conversations we were having at this time last year was when is Rowdy Tellez going to take over as the everyday first baseman mm-hmm. and when is Justin Smoke going to be released or traded? Uh, and, and we all know how that turned out. So, uh, yeah, certainly somebody from within the Blue Jays system. It could be somebody on the Major League roster now. It could be somebody in, in the minors. It could be one of the prospects we've heard a lot about. It, it could be somebody completely off the radar. Uh, could have a, a phenomenal camp and make the team or could come up early in the season and, and impress. You know, who, who was counting on Ryan Tapera, Danny Barnes, and Dominic Leone carrying that bullpen? last year you know who had that in the pool so uh there's always going to be somebody uh that comes out and and impresses and you know the other flip side of that is there's always going to be somebody who's expected to be a big contributor uh who's going to either disappoint or get uh get injured you know aaron sanchez being an obvious case of that last year so we'll see how it plays out and there are just so many names revolving around too i think that's what makes this season maybe more exceptional than, than what a lot of fans are bargaining for. When you go around the diamond, when, when you look at the bullpen, when you look at the starting pitching, there are names that you could put into a hat, and no matter who you reach in, you're going to get a player that potentially has not only something to prove, but can become that X factor if you end up getting 100, 120, 140 games. Laura, which player on this team, aside from Sanchez, because I think we can all agree, if you get a healthy Aaron Sanchez, that's about all you can ask for in in baseball life. If there was one player, position player, that you would like to see rebound and end up surprising the fans as a form of inspiration, which player would that be? Which one would get the fans blood pumping and maybe thinking, we can actually compete in this tough division and and tough uh, league? For me, it would be Devin Travis, for sure. Um just because we saw what he could do last May and we have seen in sort of bits and spurts over the course of his career what he can do and and just the the genuine um, belief that this team has in this player and and the fact that he's he's still got a lot of games to play. You know, you look at somebody like Troy Tulowitzki, well, if he were to come back and have this massive year this season, I don't necessarily know, like, what that means for the future because he's Troy Tulowitzki, he's coming... But Devin Travis still has a lot left if he can figure out a way to um, – he basically carried the team, if you remember, last uh, when they had sort of their best stretch of the summer. I was out with Josh Donaldson. Oh, I mean, Devin Travis would be the guy for me. Also, Devin Travis, I mean, one of the most heartbreaking moments of the season last year for me was when we were in Oakland and Devin Travis uh, hurt his knee and he was in tears saying, ex- explaining that he was going to be out again and, and he didn't know for how long. And, and it's rare for us to see an athlete be that vulnerable. And I think it was just a compounded situation where he'd been hurt so much and he, he's so close and yet somehow so far away at the same time. So I think in terms of play on the field, Devin Travis is the guy. In terms of the best off-the-field off story that personally a 
reporter can find, those would that would be the guy for me. And I mean, he just he's genuinely a guy who seems to be well liked by everybody. And I think, you know, that that makes for the best of both worlds. Would you say that there are a lot of or certain players that have just been lost in the shuffle as a result of all this discussion of of the younger players trying to be healthy again and, and getting the, the infield depth. What about somebody like a Kendris Morales, who I think has become literally persona non grata. I mean, everyone turned on this guy, and for obvious reasons. You're, when you have a negative war season and you're making $11 million, that's not a great investment. But when you're a player who has no speed and athleticism to speak of and can't play when you're in the National League, um, Dow, what really does the future hold for Kendris Morales? Is it just a case of he has to come to spring training and hit his way out of the perception that fans have, or can you see him getting off to a slow start and the organization deciding enough is enough? Well, I, I think that there's just a little too much contract for the organization to be able to pull the shoot quick and easy this year. Um, you know, so he, he is going to have to, to be a part of their plans unless they can they can find an American league team that would, you know, uh, gladly take him. And, and I just, uh, you know, I don't think his contract is immovable, but within the context of what the Jays are trying to do right now, it's not an easy one to move. So certainly I think that they do need to uh, get something out of him. Um, I know that uh, Andrew Stoughton has been uh, preying on his exit velocity numbers. Um, you know, I, I guess, uh, the exit velocity is good, but if you're cranking it on the ground into a shift, then yeah. you know it, it's probably it's probably not going to be something that's going to help them. On the other side of this, you know, like if they get if they if he can be uh, a player who's worth a a win and a half, um, that can help. If he's a guy who is a good clubhouse guy for a team that has started to pull in a bunch of Cuban players within the space of the last 18 months, you know, maybe there is something uh, a, a bit less uh, tangible that, you know, he can help to provide there. But, you know, I, I, I think that given the the amount of uh, depth in the corner outfield and then, you know, with what Justin Smoke did last year, trying to find at-bats for, uh, for Steve Pierce as well, I mean, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Kendris ends up uh, as a, as a player who gets say 400 at bats or, or, or fewer this year, um, uh, but I will occasionally go and take a look at him making a catch in right field for the Royals in in 2016, <laughs> just to just to just to remind myself that that was a thing that actually happened. Him running into the gap to catch something. There's certain things that you just don't want to visualize, and it's interesting that. Um, the dilemma of, of a crowded outfield is now a reality. It's funny because you wrote an article, I think, about a week and a half ago on Sportsnet Magazine, I think it was, where you talked about um, what the Curtis Granderson signing meant for the Blue Jays and for the outfield. And that, of course, was a day or two before uh, Randall Grichuk was signed. So now I ask you, and, and I'm curious what you all think, what is going to be the next move? Because obviously a move needs to be made, even if you buy in with the Pierce... Uh, Granderson platoon in left and Pilar and, and Grichuk in right, you're, you're still carrying Ezequiel Carrera. And, and now it's a question of how well you manage your roster. So I'm going to ask you first, Dow, what do you see playing out now that they have Grichuk and have all the depth in the world, both in the infield and the outfield? You know, glory days. We're celebrating depth. 
I mean, the obvious thing that everybody is pointing to at this point is starting pitching. So, um, so uh, you know, I, I think that's probably what they want and what they'd like to 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 sign. Um, I was interested last week that there was some discussion about them taking back money in deals, which maybe leads me to believe that they might have a little more than the, I guess, 15 million that we've kind of figured out on the back mm-hmm. of the envelope that they've got left and, and which, you know, could be interesting if they are in that pitching market or if they they're going to add a couple of pieces. But um, so because it's so obvious that they're going to, to be looking for starting pitching, I'm sure that it's going to be another corner outfielder that they'll go out and get next just to, just to mess with us in terms of an impact signing, you know, uh, um, I, I guess Alex Cobb is the one uh, Jason Vargas is a guy who, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's my lingering three month flu here. That's starting to wear away on me, but I'm starting to talk myself into guys like Jason Vargas as a, as a potential back end starter. Um, I even started to wonder about R.A. Dickey as a, as sort of a fifth or sixth option. Good but Lord. Maybe 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 that's a lack of imagination on my part. But yeah, I, I would I would guess starting pitching, and I don't know. You can never have too many relievers either. So hopefully, there's a few of those coming in. Can they bring Mark Burley back? Because I hear his games go like really fast. Like if we're bringing back R.A. Dickey, we might as well just bring Mark Burley back. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Someone who knows a little bit about the relievers on this team, of course, is Arden because he wrote an article on Ryan Tapera and his value in 2018. And I'll tell you, first of all, it's a great article because he really broke down the analytics behind the player, but also his value system a little bit, like what he wants to do. He wants to lead and prove that he can be someone the Blue Jays rely upon. And of course, when a player goes out and does that, not only do you get versatility, but suddenly you don't feel bad that you passed up a free agent. Will you be surprised if the Blue Jays sign a free agent starter, or do you think that they'll continue to explore what the value of guys like Tepera and Biagini mean in terms of overall versatility? No, I wouldn't be surprised at all, and I think that uh, Dow's flu has kind of led him in the right direction when you mentioned a guy <laughs> like Jason Vargas. Um, yeah, I think Vargas is a guy the Blue Jays would have interest in. I think Jaime Garcia. I think you know that's kind of the tier that we're looking at for if the Blue Jays are going to sign a free agent starter. I think it would be great if they got Alex Cobb. I think he would fit in really nicely. I think Lance Lynn would be great as well. I mean, I think Hugh Darvish would be fantastic. But I don't think that those are the type of names that you're going to see the Blue Jays add. I don't think you're going to see them shopping in that aisle. So, yeah, I think you know Vargas Garcia, those would be the types in the starting rotation. And as far as the bullpen, which you mentioned, to me, the biggest need is is a left-hander that, that you can trust uh, because, you know, when, when you kind of look at this roster right now, you know, Aaron Loop didn't probably get – probably didn't get enough credit for the season he had last year. Yeah. It, it was a fine season. But you're an Aaron Loop injury away from having to rely on Tim Mays and Matt Dermody as your uh, go-to guy to, to get a lefty out uh, late in the game. So I think that if the Blue Jays could add a, a left-handed reliever who – and, you know, we, we talked to John Gibbons at, at the Fan Fest uh, last week or two weeks ago, whatever that was, and you know, he was he was harping on it. He was saying, I, I want a guy with experience who's gotten out to the big league level uh, who I can rely on. So I, I think that's got to be a focus now. Does that take the shape of, you know, what we saw last year where the Blue Jays kind of spread out their money in, in that area and went with $3 million to Joe Smith and $3 million to J.P. Howell? One of those moves worked out very well. One of those moves, not so much. If you do it like that, you certainly spread out your risk. 
Or you could take $6 million and give it to one reliever, such as a Tony Watson or whoever, uh, and, and, and somebody else that you know you, you feel a bit more confident in, so you're, you're not rolling the dice as much. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of piece that together. So when all is said and done and this team goes out and finishes an additional move or two, um, maybe signs a free agent, maybe um, declares that a young player will get an opportunity. Because I'll, I'll tell you, Arden, hearing you talk about um, Meza and Dermody, the, 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 the fan boys, if you will, and a lot of people on social media gush over these players. But the reality is you're saying that these are not quantities that can be relied upon yet. We have to be patient. If you're patient, involved players become um, more experienced and evolved. And, of course, uh, this past week, the evolution of Vladimir Guerrero continues in a direction that can only best be described as pure, almost science fiction. I mean, hit 80 hit tool declaration from MLB pipeline, baseball, America, everyone is essentially touting him as the, the golden bat. But is that a good thing for a franchise, which is clearly in neither rebuilding or go for it all mode? I want to start with you, Laura. Like what do you have at the end of the day for 2018 with this Blue Jays team? Are you looking at it, uh, optimistically as a team that will contend for a wild card or just maybe just steeped in more realism, if you will, that this is just a slightly above average ball team that might surprise you one day, but remind you another that they're really not a contending team. Yeah. I, I, I mean, personally, I certainly think that as it stands, um, it's, it's a, it's sort of a mediocre ball club. <coughs> there are certain variables. Like I think, as we've said, if Aaron Sanchez is healthy, that could be a big game changer. I don't know that Aaron Sanchez is going to be healthy. I still, you know, I'm skeptical that we're going to be able to, you know, the Blue Jays are going to be able to come up with a way to fix his finger because I don't necessarily know, know that we've seen that yet. Um, is Josh Donaldson going to stay healthy? There's a lot of health concerns with this team. And, and, you know, last year it went completely wrong. And is it going to go completely wrong this year? I think that what the front office needs to do that's most important for this franchise going forward is not rush Vlad Guerrero Jr., not rush Bo Bichette. You know, even yeah. the guys that are projected to maybe come up this year, Teoscar Hernandez, Anthony Alford, Dalton Pompey, whoever, if they're not ready, don't rush them because I think that there's a certain amount of pressure that this front office is under to sort of produce a team that's better than last year's team. And, you know, Right now, I don't necessarily think that the guys that they have um, guarantee that. Maybe slightly better, but not not better in terms of getting back to 2015, 2016 level. So I think that it's very important that they don't rush these young guys in the system because I think that if you rush a player, um, there's a possibility that, that you're sending them up too early and then everything can come crashing down and maybe they don't reach their full potential. So I think that you need to give those players time and that gives you a better opportunity for perhaps a real rebuild in 2019 and a rebuild that gets out of the gates faster. It's not to say that, you know, if, if Vlad Guerrero Jr. is ready in 2018, then not to bring him up or whoever it may be. But I just think that, you know, they have to sort of ignore the outside pressures. And if 2018 has to be a write-off so that 2018 can start, it, start this Blue Jays team anew, then I, that personally that's the way that i would i would go as uh as someone who's had his heart broken by uh by travis snyder and and who <laughs> thought that uh the blue jays maybe rushed him 
in when he wasn't necessarily ready. Um, I, I so I would tend to agree with Laura on, on on that level, but I guess the other thing is that when you look in the last five years at the influx of of talent under the age of 22 or 21 who who have come into the league. Um, uh, you know, like Manny Machado or like Bryce Harper or whatever, uh, that, that sort of like highest of high end talent, they have come in at, at an early age. They've come in, um, you know, rather than having them, uh, you know, kill it for Del Marva or Rochester or whoever it is, uh, to have them come up and, and, and play with the major league team. Um, so if, uh, if, if Vlad Jr. is is ready by September of this year, then uh, I'm all for uh, bringing him up and and supposing that uh, Bo Bichette is that same sort of prospect and and I actually think he is. I, I think by the end of next year you could potentially have a, a, a something set up where you could have the Blue Jays as the one and two best prospects in the game if they don't get up to the to the big leagues this year. But um, you know I, I like bring those guys up as soon as they're ready to, to contribute. That's, you know, and, and I don't think it's every player that, that is going to be that super high end prospect. I don't think that we've really seen somebody of this level, maybe even since, you know, uh, John Olerud. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't keep those guys down or suppress uh, their major league uh, playing time. Uh, but again, I mean, I, I think even with that, the Blue Jays are going to be sort of this like 83-win true talent team maybe for the next couple of years. But you can do that and hope that things go right for you for a couple of weeks and suddenly you're an 88-win team and in the mix and, and hopefully you know, not needing to just absolutely bottom out to, to rebuild. Well, and another thing that doesn't get talked about is the importance of leadership, leadership from your, your coaches from the front office. And when I recently uh, interviewed Tony Fernandez for the show, that was something that he elaborated on about the eighties teams and how they evolved and how at some point in the evolution of any team, you have an arc of success or you go through a stretch of, of mediocrity, or in some cases you're just a horrible product on the field and fans end up staying away until you rebuild and then have a fire sale. Not that I'm referring to any particular franchise in mind, and, and I thought about that. I thought to myself, you know, Vlad and, and, and Bo will be arriving as uh, the, these fresh quantities in baseball that will have a lot of pressure on them and, and a desire from the front office to see them succeed. Arden, will John Gibbons be around for that? Is this the year that if the Blue Jays start poorly that John Gibbons is let go? Or does management maybe continue to string him along knowing that he's got the respect of, of old players and veterans as well as young players and, and up-and-coming rookies? Well, that's going to depend on results. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly think that if the Blue Jays start 2018 similarly to the way they started 2017, that it's certainly going to be a topic. Uh, and that John Gibbons' job status is, is going to be something that we talk about if this is a team that, you know, collapses out of the gates and, and is out of contention uh, early on in, in the season. Um, you know, I, I don't think it will be his fault 
if that happens, uh, you know, I think Laura can back me up on this. I mean, I think John Kibbins is, is a really good fit to manage this particular group. It's, it's a veteran team. It's an older team. Um, it's, it's not the type of team that you go into the clubhouse and you yell and you scream and, you know, you demote guys and you call them out in the media and stuff like that. I mean, this is a team that, that needs, uh, you know, a, a pretty cool, almost hands-off approach like, like John Gibbons has. And, you know, I've said on this podcast before, more often than not, he, he makes the tactically sound move. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's pretty hard to poke holes a lot of the time uh, in John Gibbons' uh, bullpen management. I mean, he, he, you know, he's given the resources that he has, and he tries to get the most out of them. So, you know, I'd be surprised if we're sitting here in May or, or June and we're saying, wow, John Gibbons really screwed this season up. Uh, you know, I don't see that happening, but certainly if the Blue Jays are not doing well, we're, we're going to be tough. I think that the only person who would be saying, wow, John Gibbons really screwed the season up, if they're at 2-11, and 11, uh, you know, 13 games into the season next year, is John Gibbons. And I say that only because John Gibbons is not a guy who will, you know, throw his guys out to dry. Um, you know, as Arden was saying, he he has a sort of hands-off management approach, but he has all of those guys back. And I think that he knows, I mean, my favorite quote of the off season so far has been somebody asking John Gibbons why they should come back to watch the, tw- fans should come back to watch the 2018 season. And John Gibbons' response was to watch John Gibbons last season managing the Toronto Blue Jays, right. um, which is just classic Gibbons. Um I think, you know, he, you've seen him. You watch him, you know, go out to the ump when Marcus Stroman's being Marcus Stroman, and he has his back. And, and I think that the players on this team respect that, and I think the players on this team need that. And, you know, ultimately, perhaps John Gibbons is a scapegoat, but I think everybody, as Arden was saying, I think, you know, he makes the right calls. I think it would be very difficult to poke holes in his game. And I think that, you know, the front office, is, it knows that. I, I don't think that they're under any um, illusions that, you know, the Blue Jays' issues last year stemmed from John Gibbons. I think that that any manager, you know, it's it's. I, I'm I'm sure it's uh, for for someone who is uh, a baseball player post career or whatever. It's it's one of the best um, jobs that you can aspire to, and yet at the same time, it's a completely unfair. Um, the way that those careers often um, come to an end, and you know, it's it, it's possible that it, it wouldn't be uh, John Gibbons' fault, but this is this is sort of the the way that these things work. You know, you you get a couple of shots at at um, uh, pulling out of uh, of bad seasons or what have you, and 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 because your performance. Um, is uh, so measurable, uh, at least in terms of the standings, even if that isn't really an accurate portrayal of what it is that you do. Um, I think it's... It it might not be fair that they let him go, but I I could certainly see it within uh, a very realistic realm of possibilities, um, simply because... You know, he uh, Gibbons is on on this stretch with the Blue Jays. I think coming up on his seventh season uh, in the second time around. Um, uh, you know that uh, I think that there, there are shelf lives uh, for 
for managers. And maybe you would hope that Gibby would be one of those guys who sort of weathers the storms and, and, and gets to stick around for 20 years and be sort of a fixture, and, which I personally would. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, on a slow start that he ended up um, at, at least being the public sacrifice for it. Which is a real shame, I think we can all agree, because as you alluded to, he he did something that coaches typically don't do, which is create a, a kind of dual arc of of uh, success followed by losing the strength of their message. We all know that coaches, and, and especially in hockey, they've got shelf lives, right? You only get to a certain point where your player starts tuning out your message. But John Gibbons has done the unthinkable. He's stayed relevant. He's found a way to motivate his team, even though this is his second tour of duty. And and this is why I also say to myself, the value he give the, gives them is unbelievable. In some ways, as a as a as a manager, he gives them the same value as going out and getting an Aldem, you know, Aledmus Diaz or a Jan Hervis Solarte, right? I mean, they're getting a major league capable coach, but not someone you would ever really talk about as being the guy that you go after. And I think people have become comfortable with him. He's like that comfortable old shoe, but when you're having a bad day, you throw it against the wall and blame it on the shoe, even though you're the one who walked in the puddle. I'm losing total control of my analogies, but you know the direction I'm headed in. I want to ask you guys uh, as a final question on this awesome roundtable we've been having. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about Cooperstown, because as, as we know, there are four new members to the Baseball Hall of Fame, and I, I want to get, starting with you, Arden, I want to get all of your opinions on what I think was an amazing year for that. I mean, I really like these four players. You know, in the past, we've seen players that are just relatively unlikable or had an odor and aroma around them, whether it was suspicion of PEDs or just, you know, um, doing things that's unbecoming of the Hall, even though we all know that's hypocritical considering some of the people in the Hall of Fame. But I think they got it right with this class. How do you feel about that, Arden? And whom, who would you choose that... If you could select one person who was uh, left out this year who deserves to be in there, who would be your player? Because I know there were a couple of names that really left, uh, you know, were, uh, were on the, the top of everyone's headspace. There's a, there's a ton of names. Bonds, Clemens, Roland. Uh, you know, there's so many names. You know, I, I'm, I stopped worrying about the Hall of Fame a long time ago. I'm, I'm just fatigued of the constant debates and, and everything around it and the way that a lot of people want to make it this hall of morality. Uh, you know, I, there, you know, there's racists in the Hall of Fame. There's people who abuse their spouses. There's people who took performance enhancers. Yeah. There's people who took amphetamines. Uh, you know, baseball history and tradition is steeped richly in these things. So, uh, you know, to me, a, a Hall of Fame is, is just kind of a recognition of different eras of the game and, and people who performed greatly at those times and were celebrated at those times and, and, and had great accomplishments and achievements at those times. I, I don't think it should be this, uh, I don't think there should be this, you know, great amount of, of gatekeeping. Um, you know, I, I think that just, you know, I, there's a lot of names on that ballot that, that should be in the hall of fame, but, uh, you know, the, the process is what it is and I am not part of that process. Uh, and, and I'm okay with that. Um, should I like say Larry Walker just to like make everybody go crazy? Larry Walker, right? This is the this is the debate that we're all trying to get Canadian in. Laura, tell me though, how do you deal with people who roll their eyes and say, "Come on, Colorado Air splits on the road were horrific," and really, if you look at his Montreal numbers compared to what he did with the Rockies, how do you address that? Even though I agree I just with rolled you, my I think, eyes. I think Larry Walker basically. is a Hall of Fame caliber player. 
uh, an answer that Arden gave them. I'm, I would say that I just um, would roll my eyes back at them and basically give them the same spiel that Arden gave, which is I'm not involved, and I'm perfectly happy with that. Um, just so many people lose so many gray hairs over this whole Hall of Fame ballot situation that I just I can't I can't get that worked up. Yeah. I, for me, you know, uh, I think I allow myself uh, to get worked up basically from sort of, you know, the, the end of the World Series through until the announcement because, you know, what else are you going to get worked up about at this point? Um, and uh, seeing as how I'm also older than dirt um, and knowing that the, the players sort of from my era of fandom sort of in the 80s and 90s are, are really underrepresented, 80s, 90s, early 2000s. Um, I love to see these classes of uh, four guys get in. I'm a big Hall guy. You know, if that Hall exists to do anything, it's to help tell the story of, of the, you know, these were the players who were great in their era. And uh, I think it just got a little too focused on, you know, how do we keep people out as opposed to, you know, how do we get people in? And again, it's a, it's a building in upstate New York, like who really cares? But at the very least, the discussion, you know, I, I think it's possible that someone like Edgar Martinez would have slipped into something of obscurity without people recognizing just what a great player he was. And, and, and the same with Larry Walker. So at the very least, some of this stuff is raising people's uh, consciousness of some, some of these players in the same way that, you know, the, the sort of debates around Ron Santo did back in the day. Um, so I, it, it, it is tiresome. It's certainly tiresome to hear people tell you why someone doesn't belong in the hall. Um, in spite of the fact that I wasted a lot of time uh, whinging about Omar Vizquel and, and, and his vote totals versus others' uh, vote totals. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's the winter, and I'd like to find something to talk about baseball. And since I'm not seeing the Dominican Winter League on my TV, then I might as well talk about the Hall of Fame. <laughs> Well, I do so enjoy shorter. the moment. I do enjoy the videos of the the crying the when they get the call. The emotion of it all that's that's fun for me. Well, and it is emotional and and very political. And I, I like I like <laughs> the way that you that you articulated Dow the the significance from a historical perspective and understanding generations. But there are some shenanigans. There are shenanigans in the voting process. The politics involved with that. You know, one day I'll I'll gather all three of you back and we can have a full podcast talking about, you know, Carlos Delgado's results and why he ended up with a paltry three and a half percent. And then we trace it right back to politics. Um, I don't know about the crime dog, though. I mean, speaking of former Blue Jays, why is Fred McGriff? I thought we'd moved past the era where we could look at sabermetrics and do comparative analysis. Why? Why is it that because he didn't reach 500 home runs, he's still ble- being more or less ignored by by Hall voters? That's a, an interesting question. Any of you wonder why 23% for a guy who had 500 home runs and was a perennial 100 RBI productive bat? You know, I I think Fred McGriff just retired at the wrong time, and he retired at a time where. Yeah. Suddenly, power hitters had a degree of, of, or people were, the, 
the power skill had a degree of stink on it and the on base skill hadn't quite been illuminated in the way that it should have been. And those were basically McGriff's two, two best attributes. So I, you know, in some ways he, he retired at the wrong time. Um, uh, but also too, I, I think that the voting pool for the time that he has been eligible, um, has been more focused about keeping people out. And if he has 497 home runs versus 500, like I have no idea why those three matter, but somehow, somehow they do. Uh, And, and, you know, the fact that we've had uh, years where they, they couldn't find a single candidate to to give 75% to, um, I think is just, it's sad. Uh, and I do see it changing. It seems like they're doing the work to make sure that, you know, this isn't someone who covered baseball 30 years ago for, for three seasons who somehow is still voting on this, but, uh, and, and it seems like the, the voting pool is, is well, is improving. Maybe I think improving because they share the same subjectivity as I do, but I, I, I still just, I think it's oh bad pun criminal that uh, the crime dog hasn't yeah. gotten a better results. That, that was coming. That was coming. I saw that a mile away. Very sorry. Good. No, it's all I'm good. Sorry. No, but that's no. true. That's very true. Look, I, I think we can all just be satisfied, as as Laura mentioned, that you know the, the right guys made the haul. There are obviously those who were deserving, and next year should be interesting because we're going to have new players who I think will be slam dunks with uh, Rivera and uh, Halliday. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where that leaves players who, who've been lingering, you know, whether you think they should be there or not. The Kurt Schillings of the world, the uh, as you mentioned, Arden, you've got Bonds, you've got Clemens, you've got a lot of names coming up that uh, deserve a, a shot at it, if you will, depending on, on who you end up speaking with. Guys, this was fantastic. I'm going to give props to Arden, by the way, for uh, helping me come up with the episode name. I always wait for a phrase or some kind of... Uh, name that's given to what we're discussing. And at some point, Arden, you mentioned collusion of common sense, which I think pretty much sums up this this past almost hour of conversation. Let's go around the table. I'm going to start with you, Laura, and then you, Arden, and Dow. Um, tell my listeners what you're up to and, and when they, where they can find you on social media. Uh, you can find me on social media at, uh, at Laura Army, two A's in the middle there. Um, where you can find me, what I'm doing these days, uh, baseball related, <laughs> baseball related, I will be at Pitch Talks on Wednesday night at Left Field Brewery, um, interviewing Bob Kendrick. Um, and then the following week, what day is that, Arden? There's another one. Well, don't ask me. I have no idea. Okay. Arden hasn't checked his calendar recently, but I believe it's the February the 8th and I will be there as well, talking baseball nice. with Arden and Ben Nichols and Smith and some other people. All right. Uh, yeah, you can get me at, uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's at Laura Army. Uh, there's two A's in it, not just <laughs> one. So anything you want to say <laughs> to me, <laughs> just send it to at Laura Army. Just make sure you send all that hate just right. You know, everything nasty they have to say to me, just send it to there. I'll relay the message. I'll relay the message. Uh, and yeah, hey, Ari, thanks for having me. Always appreciate. It. Always good to come on. Uh, you know, and that shout out to the work that you do uh, with, with Jay's Journal and, and the work that all the Blue Jays blogs do. You know, we, we got Dow on the phone here. He's an OG of the Blue Jays blogging. 
game along with guys like Stoughton and Fair Service, uh, you know, guys who built that city. And, and then you've got other great blogs that have come along, you know, Jays from the couch, tip of the tower, uh, you know, Bluebird Banter, places like that. I'm forgetting some, but, uh, you know, it, the blogs do really good work. Uh, and I, and I, you know, I, I think it's really a privilege that I get to cover a team that has such a fervent and involved and engaged uh, online fan base. It's, it's really awesome. Good grief. I, I don't think I've ever heard quite so effective a monologue. Um, that's the result of me sending you my Bitcoin payment just now. So that's great. That's a hell of a plug. <laughs> no, most appreciated, Arden. Thank you for those kind words. Speaking of the man, the myth, the pseudonym, go ahead, my friend. Uh, uh, OG, it just makes me feel like an old guy. So I'm sorry, uh, man. my bad. <laughs> that, that's all right. I, 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 I'll get over it. Uh, it's original. Where am I? Well, that's the O stands for original, not old. Yeah. Original. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I took it as the compliment uh, in the spirit that you meant it, and and I turned go. it into something awful. It's my own, it's my own <laughs> lack of self confidence. So. <laughs> That was the nicest thing I've ever heard Arden say about anyone. Yeah, right? me too, me too. <laughs> Took a lot from me. <laughs> well, well, we'll lie down after this and, and take a nap. Uh, for me, um, you can find me at Dow Steve and take a couple of runs at trying to spell that in your Twitter search bar, and it'll probably come up eventually. And... Uh, doing a bit more sporadic uh work it it'll be weekly uh once the season starts to get going um and i think it's sort of every second week until maybe until sometime in the middle of next month but uh sportsnet.ca well I'll never underestimate the power of uh swiping right like once they get past all the arden swelling and ben nicholson smith articles we know you will be there and uh, more importantly, I'm glad that I had the chance to have all three of you on this uh, roundtable. Now that we're back in action, uh, stay tuned for future ones. You have been listening to Laura Armstrong, Blue Jays beat writer for the Toronto Star, Arden Zwelling, the staff writer at Sportsnet, and the co-host of the At The Letters podcast. Be sure to check it out. And of course, Dow of Steve, author and weekly contributor with Sportsnet. Guys, thank you so much for joining me here on the Jays Journal podcast. Thanks, Ari. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, everybody. Be well. Thanks, guys. Next up on the show, as promised, we've got Richard Burfer and Dan Sagan from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network to talk about the number one and number two prospects in the Blue Jays system, and quite frankly, seem to be the number one and two prospects in all of baseball. Of course, I'm talking about Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. Boys, take it away. Hi, Ari. Thanks for having us back again for another episode. Always love talking baseball. Always love talking uh, Blue Jays prospects with you. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Vladdy Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. Uh, both guys were announced as top 100 prospects in the game of baseball. Um, Vladdy Guerrero is the number three prospect on both MLB Pipeline and Baseball America, while Bo Bichette was um, number eight on Baseball America and number 14 on MLB Pipeline. Yeah, so uh, last week we talked about Danny Jansen, who's a really good prospect in the J system. But this week we're talking about the two main names that you're going to hear. That's Bo Bichette and Vladdy Guerrero, who are, you know, while Jansen was great, these guys are on a next level. Mm-hmm. They started off in single A at Lansing, and they just they were just on fire. It was it was incredible. They ended up uh, they ended up in single A Dunedin. They still both hit over 300. And Bo actually led the entire minor league baseball with a 362 batting average, mm-hmm. which is incredibly impressive. 
Yeah, uh, with guys like Bo and Vladdy, these are the names you're going to be hearing all season long, especially with uh, uncertainty around guys like Devin Travis and Josh Donaldson. A uh, guy like Vladdy Guerrero, this kid has off-the-charts talent. Uh, he has the uh, unique combination of power and hit, the hit tool that you just don't see from a, a regular prospect, especially in the top 100. Um, I mean, the bat speed is off the charts. Uh, he can turn on really any pitch. Uh, the plate discipline, the pitch recognition, he has just elite tools that you just don't usually see on this level. Um, as far as Bo Bichette, uh, he's a bit of a different animal. The way he swings, it's a violent swing, but somehow he still makes contact. He has very elite bat-to-ball bat contact uh, skills. and. Really, that makes you think that with all his other tools, maybe his violent swing is going to work on the next level. Yeah, and you mentioned Vladdy's hit tool. And mm -hmm. uh, on MLB.com, they actually gave him the first 80 hit mm -hmm. grade yeah. on the 20 to 80 scale. So that's the first ever in any of these rankings. It's so nuts. you know that it's just next level. Mm -hmm. And his power's there. He only hit 14 home runs this season, mm -hmm. but he was only 18 years old. And yeah. the power's definitely there. While, you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't shown but he definitely has it. Mm -hmm. And uh, his speed is listed as slightly below average, but he still stole 23 bases in a season and a half, so you know mm -hmm. he's a good base runner. Yeah, and um, back to the power point, um, he, he's, he hits 13 home runs in 2017, and for an 18-year-old, that's crazy. And you watch some of those home runs, he's going opposite field, he's ripping balls down the line. It's, it's really insane to watch. And back to uh, Bo Bichette, um, he also has that sneaky raw power in him. Right now, he's more of a line line to line guy, and he really he's really able with his bat speed to really hit all over the field. But in a few years, that power might start to come. Yeah, both these guys have incredible bat speed, mm -hmm. and uh, Bichette was not necessarily a surprise, but uh, he was taken as, in, as a second round pick mm -hmm. as kind of a high risk, high reward kind of guy. And he came into the league, and scouts were expecting him to strike out a lot, a lot of swing and misses, and maybe hit the occasional ball hard. Mm -hmm. But then he ended up hitting over 400 in his first season, and then, like I said earlier, he led the minor leagues in batting average this year. So he's legit, yeah. and he's you know kind of showed proven proven guys wrong. Yeah, and um, with the 2018 season quickly coming up, it's going to be really exciting to watch these guys play and. Maybe they're even going to make it up to AAA and see how they handle AAA pitching. pitching. Um, other than that, thank you again for having us on board. Always love talking with you, with you guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ari.